Yeah, good on you for turning up. I can honestly say that if, um, that if I wasn't speaking, I wouldn't be here. Um, I really wouldn't. Because uh, one thing I find hard to do is, um, after I've had dinner, is to leave the house. I find it hard to get to bed, it's hard to get off the couch. So good on you for turning up. And, um, you know, because we're in the house, um, you are the church. And this is the house where miracles happen. Hey, this is the house where miracles happen. It's, it's not just come here to hear some pretty fancy stories and all the rest of it. It's about um, an expectation that something's going to change here tonight. So I've been given the privilege to come and speak to you about um, unforgiveness. And, uh, and you know what? I had a lot of unforgiveness in me. So I want to share a bit about that. Um, so it's good to be here. Uh, it was an awesome night last night with the men, the men that, were, that came last night. Like, I really enjoyed meeting you guys and getting to share with you guys. And you know what it says to me? It was that um, some men here in the church are motivated for change because we can't keep going down the same old track. We, we need to be encouraged. We need to be uplifted. We need to be spoken into lives. And um, so I, was really, I really appreciated those guys coming last night. And the youth on Friday night, they're like, well, what an awesome team you guys are, you know. Um, the youth leaders here, you're doing a fantastic job. And um, I know I haven't finished my mission with you guys. I spoke, um, spoke to Nate last night, and he's more than happy to jump on board. And, and uh, Lyndon too, so for this camp, you know, we'll get it happening. Um, because, you know, we've got to do stuff. Um, oh, yeah, I'm on TV. Uh, that adds a few kilos onto you, apparently. So, yeah, um, for those of you on TV, I'm a lot slimmer than I look. Um, yeah, uh, I, one thing I was talking about, what I'm going to talk about tonight is about freedom. Because unforgiveness, when you turn it around and becomes forgiveness, it's, it's actually freedom. And you know what? Um, people used to look at my eyes when I was young, right up my whole life. I've got green eyes, and I'm, and I'm Māori. And um, they used to say, boy, you're trouble. And I heard it all my life. And, and they used to look at my eyes and they say, man, look at his eyes. Oh, you're, you're actually trouble. Do you know what? Today at church, a girl looked at my eyes and started crying. And she goes, I see freedom on you. Didn't she, love? She said, I, I looked at your eyes and your eyes just have freedom. Boy, that's a change, eh? That's a complete turnaround to what I heard all of my life. And today a girl looked at my eyes and started crying and said, I see freedom in your eyes. And boy, um, you know how good is God? He can just turn it around just like that. And people are prophesying this rubbish into my life. Boy, it was good to hear a good message today. It's about my eyes. I've always liked my eyes, actually. Um, thought them served me pretty well. Um, <laughs> so today I'm speaking on forgiveness and unforgiveness. You know, the Lord doesn't want us to be burdened or suffering, struggling, unhappy, down or depressed. You know, hanging on to these things that we have in our lives that harm us. I've got a list of all the stuff that in my life that was here to destroy me. And I hung on to it as tight as I could. Last night I talked about a snake that um, crawled over a, a saw. And when he crawled over the saw, he cut himself going over the saw. So he wrapped his body around the saw and started squashing it, crushing it. And the more he crushed it, the more it hurt him and the more he bled. And the more he felt the pain, the more he crushed it more and held on to it, wrapped himself around it. He didn't realise by hanging on to the stuff it was destroying him, it was going to kill him. That's what unforgiveness is about, eh? It's going to destroy you. 
you can hold on to it. Because believe me, when my, my mother was a Christian, can we have those photos up, please? <clears throat> my mother was a Christian, and she used to talk to me about forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't make sense to people in the world. Revenge does. Not allowing them to free them, to let them off of this stuff. I refuse to let people away with anything. But all along, it was, it was, I, was, I was that snake on that saw, just trying to crush it and getting hurt more. And it was destroying me. God doesn't want that for us. But he wants us to have freedom, peace, happiness, love, and love in our lives. It's what he wants for us. Because he's a loving father. You will know that. I'm not, I'm not telling you something you don't already know. What I'm going to try and do is encourage you to start letting go of some of this stuff. Because I know that there's people here that are still hanging on to hurts, past hurts, and I get it. It doesn't seem natural to let it go when you've been hurt by somebody. It really doesn't. Because you're hurt. And you don't want to let them away with it. But it's destroying you. Forgiveness is about your freedom. I brought this here. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your, your Father in heaven may forgive you and your sins. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Actually, I think, yeah, we'll, we'll say a prayer. I'll just bow our heads, please. What do we want you to move with us tonight among us? Because we have a heart of expectation of you to move and to stir something in us and to reach deep into our hearts and soul so we can receive the word and apply it in our lives to those that we need to forgive. In Jesus' name, amen. See, it's going to take prayer to do some of this. In fact, forgiveness is about prayer. It really is. And when the Lord gave me this, and he downloaded all this stuff on me that I'm reading out to you, it was all about prayer. The key was in prayer. But it's in one of the scriptures, because the scriptures aren't just, like I said last night, they're not just pretty stories, they're, they're things to apply in our life. Oh, you know, that's what it's all about, is the stuff, is it's a powerful stuff, because it's to be applied in our life. And if we're not applying it, we just know the scriptures, then it's pointless. It's, it's all pointless. I've met so many people that know every bit of the Bible, every verse, they pull them out like that. But I look at them and they're not really living in it. What's the purpose? It's not a story. It's a compass. It's to apply in our lives. So forgiveness is from God. So if forgiveness is from God, then unforgiveness is from where? It's from there. Do you really want to bring that into your life, him into your life? If forgiveness is from God, unforgiveness is from the devil comes to rob, kill, and destroy. You know that. Well, you're hanging on to it. You're hanging on to him. That's who you're shackled to. Unforgiveness has a fruit. It's called anger. And from that anger comes bitterness. And from that comes resentment. And quite often comes revenge. And from that becomes, comes a cold heart that can't truly love. You can't truly love when your heart's cold. It's impossible. It's not doable. Well, you're hanging on to this stuff and you're hanging on to all these things and this hurts, and this unforgiveness in your lives, you cannot truly love, because you are not free, you're shackled. And believe me, I know what it's like to not be free, and to be shackled. Yeah, I didn't have a loving heart when I was in that position either. I was cold, I was dead. What are the true consequences of unforgiveness in the Bible? Unforgiveness affects your spirit and your soul, hindering your spiritual growth and fruitfulness. You may feel spiritually dry, stuck or stored in your spiritual life. Unforgiveness builds a wall between you and God. Fear replaces peace and imprisonment replaces freedom. It's true. 
It's what it is. You see those pictures? Oh, the one on the left, that's my mother and my father. Um, my mother was a Christian. She was a Christian all her life. My father became a Christian when I left the house. <laughs> it's true. I couldn't believe it because he was, he was so horrible. I couldn't stand my father. And when I left the house, he changed, became a Christian. And then I thought, I didn't like Christians because I thought they were hypocrites because he'd been gone from so bad to becoming a Christian. You know, the funny thing is, I've done the same thing. I was so bad, so out the gate, then I became a Christian. But I didn't give my father any slack for it. I hated on him. Boy, it's a realisation for me that, you know, we can change so much. The, the picture down below is my son. His name's Mac. And the guys on the right are the mongrel mob. And I, do, I work with him all the time. I, I do a lot of work with him. But I also do a lot of work with pastors and um, church leaders, um, people in the community as well. But because they're going to be a part of the story, you need to know who they, um, what they look like. Um, I don't look like my father, do I? <laughs> uh, I might have his eyes. <laughs> and, and he was Irish and he loved potatoes. And, you know, a Maori Irishman, you know, <laughs> he had a lot of potatoes. So, um, you know, we've got that in common, me and dad, and, and beer. I love beer. Um, for the religious folk that are here, don't worry about it. I won't catch on fire for loving beer. Um, but, you know, uh, when we talk about forgiveness, okay, I, I wrote here, I had to forgive my father and a person that sexually abused me. And more recently, I had to forgive the mongrel mob because I've been carrying this unforgiveness. But I had to forgive my father. And I, I never actually thought I would ever be able to do it. I truly, truly didn't. My father had broken every bone in my face by the time I was nine years old except for my skull. And my skull got broken when I was 17 on a bike accident, motorbike accident. But my father had broken every other bone. How was I ever going to forgive him? Yet I was listening to my mother say, listen here, son, you're going to have to start forgiving people. I used to look and I think, because I knew it was coming from the church, I knew it was coming from the Bible. I thought, man, you're weird because it's, it's just not doable. I truly didn't think it was doable. And the person that sexually abused me when I was 14 years old, there was no way I was going to forgive them. I was actually planning to kill them. I wanted to kill them all my life. Till the day I became a Christian. The day I became a Christian, it left me. But I still carried this hateful spirit in me. I'd, I'd never let that go. I still felt hurt. I didn't know how I was ever going to cope and deal with it. I really didn't. But, you know, I said to God one day and I told my wife, man, how do I ever forgive him? And the Lord said to me, because I deal with people all over the country and some of them come to the groups and some of them have been sexually abused and some are sexual abusers. And I'm a pastor now and I have to love everybody. And I used to think, I used to panic because I used to think, how am I going to actually love somebody that comes through the doors that sexually abuse kids? Because I was a kid and I didn't have a heart for them. My old way was I was going to harm them. But the Lord said to me, you have to love the criminal but hate the crime. And when I separated and I thought about it, I could do it. Because now I sit in these meetings and some of these men have sexually abused children. And it's very hard for me to sit in there. But I really hate the crime, but I have to love that criminal. And I'm able to do that now. Because that's called forgiveness. So I have to forgive my father, the person who abused me in the mongrel bomb. I wrote a list of all those that had hurt me in my past. It was a big list, truly. This list I wrote down of all these people that had harmed me over the years growing up. I had this massive list, and I just kept adding to it because it had an effect on my life. 
And I wanted to get rid of it. I truly wanted to be free. Do you know what? I wrote that list as soon as I wrote this. Because God gave me this. Because, like I said, I, I've got nothing to offer you. I only, I only talk about what God's given me. If, I, if he doesn't give me anything, I've got nothing to say. Well, I've got plenty to say, but not in a church. But um, I've got nothing to say unless he gives it to me. So I wrote this down, and I thought, shit, I better apply this to my life. Because everything that he gives me, I have to apply in my life. Because otherwise, I'm standing up here as a fake and a fraud. I can't come and speak if I haven't walked through it and out of it. So I have to apply it in my life. And boy, I've had a convicting life the last few years. I'm not even kidding. And my wife's a witness to it. Unfortunately, sorry, love. It hasn't been easy for her. But man, it's changed me. So I wrote this list, and honestly, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure I've made a few lists on people's lists too that they've had to try to forgive me. I bet you I'm on a lot more lists than people that I've got on mine. You know, because the people I hurt and some of the things that I've done to people, um, they're ugly. It was truly ugly. And, you know, I used to say I was unlovable. I actually realised I was unlovable because how I used to be to people. Um, I was all about me. I was all about my guys that I was with. It was all crime. It was all angry. It was all rage. It was all hate. It was all ugly. Everything, every single thing about it was ugly. And I was lived like that till I was nearly three months off being 50. And the only person that could truly love me was my mother. She truly loved me. She was a Christian. She prayed for me every day. If you've heard my testimony, she was a praying mother. She prayed for me every single day. And she was always there for me. And her prayers got answered. And I'm going to tell you something. She never got to see my life change. You're not always going to see the answer, your prayers answered. But it's happening. And I wish I, she had seen it because, you know, she would have been so proud to be sitting here to know that her son on a Sunday night was standing in a church preaching, not out on drugs and getting wasted. And last night I was sitting with a group of men with not, not even a beer inside unless it was ginger beer. It's a big change, I told you, eh? But mum would have been so proud. And the, prayer, the power of a praying mother, man, is powerful. Because truly it wouldn't have happened if, if my mother hadn't been doing it. There's no more powerful a prayer than a prayer from a mother to, for their child. End of story. There you go, ladies. There's one for years. Um, so unforgiveness is the single biggest open door for the devil to come into your lives. While you have on, holding on to unforgiveness, the devil comes into your life because of the other fruits that, are, that you have. That's all ugly, and he comes in. See, there's no place for the devil to come into your lives when there's all gone, when you're all tidy, you've got your act in order. He tries to break into my life now and tries to attack me like I really wanted to leave before. I find it hard to come and speak. I speak all over the country every week. I do day after day doing it, and man, it's not easy for me. I don't want to be here. I, I, I get spiritually attacked by coming up as soon as I say yes and turn up. And, but I sit there just, I just want to, I don't know, I just want to bash something up because I really struggle. I also have a condition called Asperger's, which doesn't make me socially um, confident. I really don't like those situations like this, like everybody looking straight at me. And there's a TV camera there and it's probably making me look fat. <laughs> Should have been around there, it's not looking side on. I have to talk preach like this. But anyway, it's not easy. But I turned up because God turned up in my life and I've got something to say and it better have an impact on you.
Because I do not want you walking through those doors leaving unless you've had been impacted. Because I didn't come down here for nothing. I came down here to invest. And I came here last time to invest. And last night, and Friday night, I came to invest. And it's something that the Lord's given me to pass out. So I honour him, and that's why I'm here. I'm here to please him. And hopefully while I'm pleasing him, I'm pleasing some of you too. So it's a bigger single open door for the devil coming into your life. 1 Peter 5.8 Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for somebody to devour. He is always looking for a way in. He does not rest because he is aware of your weaknesses. So I'm going to share some testimonies now. My mum, being a Christian, always spoke to me about forgiving people. Because she didn't want me to be consumed with anger, bitterness, hatred in my heart. But I wrote here, sadly I was completely full of all these emotions. And they were overflowing out of me. I could not contain all that stuff in me. It was overflowing out of me. And when it overflowed out of me, it flowed onto the people around me. And then I had children, so it overflowed onto them too. And, and my partners, it overflowed onto them. My friends, it overflowed onto them. And the funny thing is, birds of the feather flocked together, so the guys that I was with were exactly like me. You know, I had no friends until I was 14 and went to the boys' home. I had none, not one friend. I never had a birthday party, I never had a present, I never had anybody come to my house, ever. I wasn't allowed anybody's houses, either. Why? Because I was a bit different. I had five mental health issues, and apparently I was a bit of a handful. But I was also the naughty boy at the school. And nobody wanted their kids with me. So I wasn't allowed at their house and they, weren't, they didn't come to my house. I got my friends in the boys' home. It was like heaven to me. I walked into this place with all these mental boys, just like this in the hall. Oh, they weren't mental, actually, sorry. But all these guys like me, I walked in and, man, I clicked with every one of them. Because we're all the same. It was like heaven to me because I finally had guys that liked me. They, they cared about me because they understood me. But man, what an ugly mess because all this stuff was overflowing because they were the same as me. Yeah. Evil truly full. Evil truly full of hate and consumed with revenge is the spirit over me. Unforgiveness is a sin. In both Greek and Hebrew, sin means to miss the mark. I don't know that. But sin means to miss the mark in Hebrew and Greek. And that is why the English word for sin was used in archery, meaning to miss the mark. So... The guy on the right-hand side is my father. Colin, his name was. He was Irish. And my biggest thing was my father. I left home at 14 because I couldn't stand being in there anymore. I used to have to be locked in the boot of my mother's car when my father came home drunk because he'd bash me and bash my mother. And the only safe place was for me was in the boot of mum's car because he didn't know he never looked there. Okay? So my biggest hurdle was my father. He was my biggest enemy. Oh, he truly did. He can't have liked me at all. Because, you know, loving somebody isn't that kind of love. Isn't bashing, isn't hitting, isn't being aggressive to. So I had to forgive my father first. So I left home at 14 because I couldn't cope with it anymore. When I left home, that year I was sexually abused. Because I was on the streets. And it was my boss where I worked that sexually abused me. And I couldn't leave that job because I needed the money. Not too many people want to hire a 14-year-old with no experience. That's a bit out the gate. I was in a sharing gang. And it happened in a sharing gang. I had nowhere to turn to. I had nothing. So I carried that too. But I knew I had to forgive my father. And all my life it had been destroying me. It was poisoning me because it's a cancer. And what happened with my father was 
I was 46 when I went to my father. I don't know what. It was like my mother in my ears. And my mother saying to me, you just have to go and forgive your father. You need to forgive your father. You need to forgive all these people. You need to forgive it, son. You need to move forward. It's going to destroy you. One day I woke up and I thought, heck, I don't have to go and forgive my father. So I rang my father. I hadn't spoken to him in 26 years. The last time I'd spoken to him, I'd tell him I was coming to kill him and his new wife. Rang up dad. Answered the phone. Got my, I got his number off my sister. He answered the phone. Hello. I said, hey, Pop. It's lucky here. He said, oh, yeah, what are you up to? I said, uh, I need to see you. He goes, well, what about? I says, I can't tell you just yet. I knew that was going to rattle him a bit. Thought I'd better rattle him one last time, hey? He deserved it, didn't he? So I said, well, I can't tell you just yet. I need to come and see you. Okay. Uh, I live in Browns Bay. Some of you South Africans know where Browns Bay are, don't you? Full of the place. Yeah, hey. Yeah, well, anyway, that's all right, because I love South Africans, apart from rugby day. Stefan's all right, though. He loves the All Blacks. He's already told me. So anyway, so I go up to Browns Bay. I hadn't seen my father in years. Turn up there. My dad comes to the door and he says, how are you, son? I says, you know, I'm good. He goes, geez, you've got a lot of tattoos. I says, yeah, I have. I says, "Um, where I've spent most of my life, that's where they come from. He says, yeah, I must talk to you about that. I said, well, he goes, what did you come for? I said, like, can I tell you tomorrow? So we made all this idle chit-chat. It was really uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable. He was uncomfortable. So we made all this stuff, and I hadn't sat and spoken to my father ever. I'd never had a conversation with my father. Not once. Never told me he loved me, never hugged me, nothing. Never, ever. So I was really uncomfortable. And I went to bed that night, and my father came in and woke me up in the morning, because I knew he was dying to find out what's going on. He woke me up, and he said, son, son, uh, why'd you come? I said, okay, Pop. It's like this. I've come to forgive you. He looked at me and said, pardon? I said, I've come to forgive you. He says, why is that? I said, were you ever going to say you were sorry? Because I hadn't actually thought about it. I wanted to kill him again. See, because he's the father. He was the one that should have come to me. But he was never going to do that, and I knew this. So I had to free me and free him. So I had to go to him and say, so you're forgiven from here on, Dad, forward. It's finished. It's no longer anymore. My father had been a Christian from the day I left home. I was 14 when he left. He became a Christian that year. I was 46. So it had been a long time that I hadn't seen him. And he was a completely changed man. And I says, that's why I come, Pop. He goes, that's awesome. So we sat down and we talked a little bit more and I left that afternoon. And I walked away thinking, geez, I feel better. I feel so much better. I really did. I knew that uh, I just got rid of this whole load off my shoulders that I've been carrying all this time till 46 years age. And I was so pleased and I walked out of there and I felt good and I knew my father felt better for it too. But it was about freeing me because I listened to what my mother, mother had said. So keep preaching to your kids and keep guiding them right. Tell them the scriptures. Encourage them. Uplift them. Because they don't stray from it. It says in the Bible, eh? It's that foundation. Keep telling them. Because I remember this all this time. And I went and did it to honour my mother, but it was a freedom in there for me. So I left there and it was all good. 
You know what? I've got written here, dead and nappies. But I left there, and six weeks later, my father rings up and says, Hey, son, I've got cancer. I'm terminally ill. I think I've got about six weeks left to live, they said. I said, okay, what do you want to do? He said, oh, well, I'm not sure. What do, you, what do you think? I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll hop on the plane. I'll come back tomorrow. Hopped on the plane, flew back to Auckland. Uh, my father went into hospice the day I got there. I stayed with my father six weeks at the end of his bed. I had a bed put at the end of his bed. And I used to pick my dad up. I used to shower him, wash him, clean him. Um, when he got real bad, I used to rub the ice around his mouth because his saliva was gone because he was, you know, wasn't far from being, he was, he was, wasn't far from being dead. And I nursed my father for the last six weeks of his life. And there's no way I could have done that unless I'd turned up and forgiven him. There's no way that was going to happen. And it was one of the hardest things because I, I started making a relationship with my father that I never had. And, and we talked about stuff that we, we'd never shared before. I heard about his life. His life was just like my life. His father's life was just like mine too. The spiritual rubbish we'd been passing it on. And my father ended up with it too. And he handed it to me. And that's where my son's going to come into the story. But my father, I said to him, I'll stay with your dad. So I did. And I used to have to put him in nappies. Um, and one time, my father, I said to him, is there anything you'd really like to do, dad? And he goes, yeah, I'd like to go to the beach. So I had to lift dad out the hospice window, get my car, zoom around, pick him up. Put him in the car, drive him down to the beach. Got dad out the beach, at the beach, and I carried him down to the beach because my dad loved swimming. and He loved the sea, just like me. I love it because of my father. And I carried him down to the beach, and I held his hand. And all these people walking down the beach, looking at me with an old man, old white man in a nappy. Didn't look cool. I'd hate to think what they were thinking of us. But I was still pleased to be holding my father's hand. I didn't actually care. My father did pass away six weeks later, and I did his funeral. I told him I'd do his funeral. I did his funeral. I made his headstone as well. I told him I'd do that as well. So I honoured him at the end. But I wish I'd never let it go that far. But anyhow, we got to know each other in the end. I was free finally after 46 years. There was some peace in my heart. I instantly felt happier. I was also released to my father. Every person I forgave freed me. It's actually more about freedom for you. But then I got but, 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 but. It didn't last. After all, it's just words. Forgive. How do you truly forgive somebody? Because honestly, I said it to my father. I forgive you. But it was just empty words. I meant it at the time, but how does it stay like that? This is how we do this. This is what the verse is for. And I realised when I used to hear my dad's name later on, I'd get this cold shiver up my spine and I wouldn't feel comfortable. Because he wasn't truly released. There was still some residue of my hate there for him. You know, I've been carrying it so long, there was still a little bit left somewhere. You know, residue, there's, there's a little bit left. Because I knew that because when I heard his name, I, I, I wouldn't like it. So, this is how you do it. So this is the key to it. This is the scripture. This is the key, the true key of forgiving somebody, truly. Matthew 5.44 But I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's that scripture on loving your enemy. It never made sense to me before I used to hear Christians talk about it, my mother talk about it. 
It makes perfect sense to me now. Because every single person I had to forgive, I had to pray for them three times a day. I tell you what, the very first time I came out of this person that sexually abused me, it was really tough coming out of my mouth. Because I had to pray a blessing on him and his family. And it didn't seem natural. And it was coming out of gritted teeth. But believe me, within four days it was coming out a lot better. And then in a week later it was coming out even easier. And within two weeks, I can mention that person's name. If they walk through here right now, I'd be able to go and embrace them and say, listen, can I pray for you? But there would be no hate there. There would be no residue there. Because it left. All of this stuff left me because I prayed blessing and favour on their lives. That's what that scripture's for. It's not for anything else. It's to get rid of things and release people. And I'm truly released of all this stuff. But it can creep back in. And it has once. So I carried on praying favour on them. Blessings on their lives. That's what you truly have to do. Jesus himself told his followers to pray for his enemies. Matthew 5, 45. 45. Says that we will be children of our Father in heaven because praying softens our hearts. As we let go of our agenda, but most of all, we become more like Christ. Unforgiveness is a cancer because it spreads. Unforgiveness. One thing is for sure, it affects the anointing on your lives. Truly. It affects the anointing on your lives because you have to be a person who is living in peace and not in anger or resentment. This is a bad spirit over us. Do you know what? I know that it affects you. I know it affects the anointing on life, even anger. You know, when I turn up to speak, if my life's not in order and things aren't all right, man, I, I really struggle. I really don't get anything until I get it sorted out because the Lord wants me to go back and to deal with the issue that's that right on the forefront of my mind here. And it's usually anger or bad patience, actually, is another one. Forgive it. It is so important for you to walk with Christ, and this leads us to holiness. Holiness. Luke seventeen fourteen, Jesus says, if someone sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The mongrel mob's here, okay? My wife and I are flying back to Auckland. I was down here preaching. Jared Van Buckle, for those of you that know him, he was coming back with us. He was coming to film the work that I do with the mongrel mob. And we're sitting at the airport. And um, while we're sitting at the airport, we're all just chatting, and the Lord said to me, I'm coming back to Auckland. The following day, I'm running a program for the mongrel mob. And one of the things that we speak about, one of the very first things that we share on in this group that I run, is trauma. Okay? And I've got a hundred traumas. Sexual abuse, bash, you name it. I've got them. But while I was sitting there in the airport, Jared and I and Haley are sitting there, the Lord said to me, you need to speak about, uh, you need to forgive the mongrel mob. I was like, oh, well, this is heavy. And I says, no way. Even after preaching this stuff and writing all this stuff, you have to forgive them. Oh, I can't, Lord. I can't do it. And Haley and Jared said to me, what are you talking? Because I was talking out loud. Because the Lord's speaking to me and I'm speaking out loud. Is there any non-Christians here? Just to make sure I'm safe talking like this, because you know what people say that talking to God, you're a bit crackers. So I'm sitting there talking to them. I says, Ain't no way. And I wasn't saying no way, I was using the old language from the street. I ain't doing it. He said, No, I want you to do it. You have to. It's your trauma. I said, No, I can't do it. Hayley's going, Yeah, okay, love. I says, No, I'm not. She goes, What's up? I says, God just told me that I have to forgive the mongrel mob because it's one of my traumas. She goes, Yeah, no, you do. Jared goes, Well, I've got to film this. 
He was only after ratings. What about my safety and all this? I said, oh, yeah, well, we'll see how we go. So we get back up to Auckland, and my two brothers that are with me, Daryl Pye and um, Jason Jackson, they're my team that go to the gangs with me. They turn up, and they says, are you all ready? I says, I'm not, actually. They says, well, what's up? I says, the Lord told me I have to forgive the mongrel mob for them killing my friend. See, they'd killed my friend, one of my closest friends. They killed him in prison. And I had this, when that happened, I was just so gutted. I'd I, I seen his father, and I told him how gutted I was about all this. And we had plans to fix these guys. And yet God wanted me to forgive them. And then here I am coming along to do a blimmin' program for them to bring freedom and peace into their lives. And the first thing I have to talk about, the first subject is trauma, and they are it. Yeah, I know, it's funny, eh? Heck, you need the Lord, man, I tell you. And they said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, we're going to have to, but man, we're going to have to start praying. So we started praying straight away. So we turned up to the Mariah, because we ran at the Mariah and Racklin. Got there and we prayed again. And I kept getting the jitters, and I was like, oh, we need to do it again and pray some more. So we just kept praying. And all these mobsters come in, because I know a lot of them, and they say, are you right, brother? I said, oh, I'm not really. How are you? Are we close? Are we tight? <laughs> they go, yeah, of course we are. I said, the brothers, come on, we better pray some more. Pray some more. I said, the Lord just said to me, I don't have to do it straight away. They go, when are you going to do it? I said, I'm not sure. But I said to God, just tell me when I have to, and I will. That was the deal. So the first night went dealt with a trauma. I talk about the normal trauma, sexually abused, domestic violence, all this stuff, all this rubbish. Fine, got through the first night. Saturday night, talked about uh, addictions, depression, anger, and then relationship. Come the Sunday, last week talk was on relationship, was on the Sunday. And the Lord said, now's the time to do it. I thought, heck, I thought I was going to get out of here because we were leaving at one o'clock. I said up to Paitoa, can you see Paitoa up there? Oh, no. The head man for the mob up there is Paitoa. I said, hey, Paitoa, I've got another thing to talk about, another subject. He goes, oh, you what's that? I says, it's one of my old traumas. He says, yeah, no worries, lucky. When you want to do it? I says, oh, I'll do it now before we leave. He says, you know, sweet as. And I was with another guy called Duke Kaitapu. Duke Kaitapu's number two for the mob there. He's, um, he's a murderer as well. They did 16 years in prison together, those two. Anyway, I've got to, both of them are Christians. There you go, actually, before I go any further. Not Christians like some of you, but they're Christians. It's about their heart. Anyhow, they're both Christians. I says, this is going to be pretty heavy. They said, no, it's all right. So we sit down. We go back into the Mariah. We all sit there. I've got me, Dee, and Jason there. And I've got them all sitting across the whole wall. And all their stuff. I thought, man, you're really going to have to come through, Lord, because I'm, really, I'm actually shitting myself. And I really didn't want to do it. He said, no, just do it. I said, all right, guys, it's like this. On the way flying here, the Lord told me to share one of my traumas, one of my true traumas, because I've struggled with it, and I quite often struggle with it, because it keeps coming up in my life, that I miss my friend. And the problem is, the mongrel mob killed him. And I hopped on the plane when the Lord told me to share this. I didn't actually want to come to you, because I hated all of you, because I, I classed you all the same. Because, you know, I can't just hate one, I've got to hate them all. And I really hated you. And I didn't want to come here to help you. I've come here to help you, but I didn't want to come to help you. Because I really don't like you. And you've all been sitting there watching me pray, and I've been praying to be able to do this. And you killed my friend. And I said, when you killed my friend, he was a good friend of mine. And him and I had a lot of history. And he's spoken to my life. A lot. 
and I really missed him. I didn't even want to leave jail. I never wanted to leave because he was so tight and close to me. And the group that I was with were the same. And one time I was getting out of prison and they said to me, are you okay, bro? My name was Famous in there. I was given that name by the Mungle Mob too because my family come from Pyro, Lemon and Pyro, world famous in New Zealand and all the rest of it. But anyway, they said to me, hey, Famous, you all good getting out tomorrow? I said, I don't want to go. Why not? Because I'm going to miss you. I really don't want to go. There was a guy in the fourth right that they wanted to take out. I said, I'll just go take such and such out and I'll just stay. And they said, yeah, I can't do that. We need you to go. We need you to leave. Hey, I said, why do I not want to leave? This is a place nobody wants to stay. Why do I not want to leave? It's because of intimacy. They knew all of my troubles. I knew all of theirs. Walked through a lot of battles and a lot of stuff together. And I really didn't want to leave. And when I left, he was killed. And they jumped up and down on his head, being Māori, so he couldn't have an open casket. And man, that destroys the family. And the casket can't be open because his head had blown up. It was like that. And nothing can happen. Nothing can change that. No coroner can fix that. So it had to be a closed casket. And it really upset me. And they jumped him from behind, sixth of them. And I said, and you guys, I really hate you. And I'm sitting in front of you. And I've struggled this whole weekend. Because I keep thinking about you and what you've done to my brother. And you know what? While I was saying this to them, the whole lot of them, that whole chapter. Well, it wasn't the whole chapter. It was part of it. It was all the juniors and three of the seniors. But 46 of those guys, every one of them was crying. They're all crying. Why? Because they'd all had that done to them too in the past. And it was hurtful. And they got up and every one of them come over. I call it hongies and hugs. Because every one of them got up there and then and walked over in single file, hugged me and hongied me and was crying and said, I'm sorry, brother. And they were forgiven. Because I got to tell them about forgiveness that day by the power of that testimony. So I forgave them that day. And it touched them. Last day, tears, hongies and hugs. Jared Van Buckle filmed it. Do you know the first time that I've written here, the first time I cried, I was preaching. I've never cried before in my life. Never shed one tear. Nothing. Never. No matter what my father did, I refused to cry. I've never cried. Yep, because I'm tough. That's the world. I wanted to be staunch and all the rest of it. But it's all bullshit. Do you know what? The very first time I cried, I've written it here, the very first time I cried preaching about what happened at the Mungo Mob Hui, it softened my heart that day. Then it brought me to tears three times while I was preaching. See, when I first talked about it to them, I was really struggling to not cry and I was trying to be staunch to. The following week I went and preached in a church and it was the very first time I cried and I was standing there and these tears were just rolling off my cheeks. My wife was sitting in the front. I thought there was something wrong with my eyes. I went over to her and I said, hey, there's something wrong with my eyes. She goes, no, are you actually crying, love? And that's the honest truth. I didn't even make a sound. It wasn't one of those ugly cries, like making all face and making a sound and snot everywhere. It was just tears thrown off my cheeks. And it happened three times. Because the next time when I preached about it, it happened again, and then it happened again. And, and, and now I just start crying any time I want. Turned into a real baby. <laughs> no, I haven't actually. I still try to keep it together because I still like to be in control a little bit. But hey, if I want to cry, I'll cry. I don't care who's standing there. And I've cried in front of these churches now. I've cried in front of them almost. 
make no difference to me. It's strength. So my testimony I shared when my life changed, I thought I was having a heart attack. See, what the Lord was doing at the time of my life change was he was softening my heart, and he keeps softening me. And he keeps working on me and keeps softening me. That's why I've become a bit of a baby, because he keeps softening me, and he's, I'm still on a wheel, I'm just still getting softened by him. And man, it's a beautiful thing. Because I wasn't a beautiful thing before. I was cold, I was, I was dead inside. Yeah, there are a lot of angry people in the church still. It's a funny thing, eh? There's actually a lot of angry people in the church that are still hanging on to stuff. I hope some of you can understand today, tonight, about letting go of some of the stuff. And I get it, it hurts. And you want to hang on to it, I get it, I truly do. But it needs to go. Unforgiveness affects our anointing on our lives, like I was saying earlier. Luke six thirty seven. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. I've needed a lot of forgiveness. I truly have. I've needed a lot of forgiveness in my life. Needed from God, from people I've harmed, so many of them. All types of disgusting things I've been involved in. But I can safely say that I've forgiven every single person. Like I said, the guy that sexually abused me, the mob, my father, and some of the other significant ones too. It's all done, gone. But you know, it took me almost two weeks of praying and praying, morning, noon and night, every day for blessings and favour over their lives. And it wasn't easy to start that, but that's truly where the power comes. That's truly where it's going to go, it's going to be left, it's going to be gone. Because it gets easier and easier. And God's working on your heart. Why are you saying it? We're going through the motions. But you have to start something. And it happens. And it truly happens. And there's people there that have been harmed by and hurt by people. It needs to happen. I needed God's help to forgive. I actually have cried out. I've cried out to his help forgive me so many times. At the time. But I was incapable of doing it on my own. And to preach it I have to walk it. That picture of that guy with me, my son. His name's, his name's McNamara, good Irish name. That's his first name too, unfortunately. So we all got to call him Mac. He's got two last names, as far as I'm concerned, but anyhow. I didn't name him. I wrote this here. Taking Mac to court. Oh, basketball court. Yeah, I know, I didn't want him following down my footsteps, believe me. When my son was born, I was no good. I was no good to anybody. So I chose to take myself out of his life because I didn't want my son following down my footsteps. I really didn't. And the only way I knew that I could do that was to keep out of his life. So I stayed out of his life. I'd seen my son about six times. And it was tough. And it was tougher for him because every little boy wants his father. I truly wanted my father. I truly wanted my father to say, man, I love you, son. Man, I'm proud of you. Oh, you're good at this. You're going to have a good future. You're going to have a great life. I wanted, my, I wanted a father. I really did. I used to cling on to any older dude. My wife would tell you, I've got all these old men. Oh, no disrespect to you old men. But if I do latch onto your leg, I'm looking for a father figure. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> what happened was, all these older guys that came along in my life, I, I try to grab them to like, father me or teach me or, or speak some wisdom into my life. And some of them were good examples and some of them really weren't. And this man and this lady took me in as their grandson. 
And he died, he died three years ago. And I was really gutted when he died because he was one of the best influences on my life that I'd had. And his wife really loved me. And, and they were like my grandparents and I didn't have any. And I, I used to take on these people and they used to speak into my life and they really cared about me and they loved me. And my son was no different. But I chose to take myself out of his life because I didn't want to destroy my son's life. I truly loved him so much that I didn't want to ruin his life by me being in it. So I took myself out. My son, when he just got older, he used to send me these texts. I hate you. You are no good. You're a bum father. All this ugly stuff. He used to send me all these messages. And it really used to hurt me. And I said, it didn't, but it did. And I knew he was hurting. Because he was right. But I'd become a Christian and I really wanted to change things. I didn't really know how to. So I had to front up. So last year, I went and seen him. I just happened to be down his street, truly. I was a bit lost. I was driving around. I've been preaching in a church, and I'd left the church, and I had a little bit of time up my sleeve, and I thought, oh, what am I going to do? I'll just go down to the mall and hang out in the mall, and I was down the street. It was my son's street. Heck. I know his mother's not too keen on me. Can't understand why. I thought, I'll go and see him. So I pulled into his driveway, and they were home. Anyway, I knocked on the door, and she says, oh, what do you want? I said, oh, I've come to see Mac. He comes out, and he goes, hey. I said, hey, son, um, would you like to go down and play basketball? Because I know he loves basketball, and he loves league. And he plays league for Linwood, and plays basketball for Shirley. And he really loves it. I said, would you like to go down and um, have some shots? I'm actually not bad at basketball myself. He says, uh, yeah, okay. So we went down, we were just shooting hoops, and, and I said to him, hey, son. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he looked at me and says, what for? And he says, uh, I said, I'm sorry for not being in your life, but I was no good. I had nothing to offer you. Uh, I'd been no good all my life, and I didn't want your life being ruined because of me being around you. So I decided to take myself out of your life. And I knew your mother was going to look after you well, and the people around her were going to be good for you. So I kept out, so you had a good chance. I said, it's not an excuse. It's not a bullshit. I've thought about you every day. So I'm sorry. And you know what? I seen his eyes that day. I seen his eyes when I picked him up. There was worry and concern in his eyes. Do you know, when I said that to him, I actually truly seen hope in his eyes. Because he'd just been given some hope because I'd turned up. And I'd explained to him, it wasn't me, it wasn't you. And I'm sorry. And I told him that you had to pay the price. I, you and I both had to pay the price. But a little boy should never have had to pay the price. But he did. So he paid the ultimate price. But I turned up to say I was sorry. I was going to leave it like my father left me. And you know what? I've got a great relationship with him now. You know, I text him, I message him, go see him, I make plans to catch up with him. I want him to come up home. And he knows that. And I can talk to him about all kinds of stuff now. And he's real happy when I call. I haven't had one of those mud texts or anything because now I'm in his life in a healthier way. And I explain to him where I've been in my life and how my life has been. It's not to make an excuse, but it's the facts. And people can go by the facts. No point leaving them to make up their own mind. 
So yeah, it changed his life. I'm no longer, no, I am now no longer shackled to unforgiveness. I am free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. You know what? Um, I wasn't going to do this, but oh, where's the dude with the guitar? Oh, can you just strum a little something, bro? Some kind of nice romantic music. <laughs> no, no, some churchy stuff, you know, sort of like Joe Slum, Strum. But, uh, you know, I know there's people here that have got stuff on their heart that they haven't forgiven people for. And I get it. And I understand it. And I know it's not easy coming up. Take your time. Let me get myself together. Shed a couple of wee tears then before. See, I'm a freaky cry. I didn't hear a squeak, did you? So, that's beautiful, isn't it? And actually, while we're on this, worship team, fantastic, man. It was beautiful. Four angels singing. I'm telling you now, I loved it. It was beautiful. Yep, fantastic. Lovely voice, beautiful voice. All of you, it was fantastic. But if you need prayer, because you really need to forgive somebody, you need to get something off your heart, then you need to come up the front because you cannot walk into a church and walk out the same way. It's on offer here now. It's time to get rid of it if you haven't. If you're hurt because somebody's hurt, your father wasn't gone, your partner, whatever it is, whatever you've got to forgive, somebody you have to forgive, you need to come up. There's a prayer team up here, and I'll pray for you. Because it has to start with prayer. Prayer is freedom. It's a corridor. It's the talk between you and God, us and God. And where two of us or more are in agreement on anything, it's done. It says in the Bible. That's the truth. But it's not just a story. So it'll free you. It'll release you. But you cannot walk back through that door if you're carrying something like that. And you need to get it off your chest. This is your opportunity right here and right now. Just come up and we'll pray for you. And the prayer team will pray you, pray for you. But you've got to be bold and courageous. You've got to be fearless. You know, to be a Christian, you have to be fearless. And God wants you to be bold and courageous. Bold and courageous means standing up and walking forwards. It's not going to get rid of it on your own. You need to come up. This is the time. So I'm encouraging anybody that wants to, welcome. Come on up and we'll pray for you. Other than that, thank you all for coming. Fantastic being with you guys. Really love being part of here. Love being part of Cornerstone. I really, truly do. I've been here a few times. I've had some time with you guys. I want to be able to have some more. And um, hopefully I'll come back. But uh, nice meeting you all, the ones that I've met. But really, I think um, you should come on up. But I'll pass it over to you, Dre. Thanks, brother. <laughs>